This episode of EM Weekly has been archived. The ideas presented by the former host of EM Weekly may not reflect or represent the values of the Readiness Lab and the Doberman Emergency Management Group. Out of respect for the guests who contributed to this episode, it remains available online. EM Weekly starting right now, bringing emergency managers from around the world together to learn, share and collaborate. Good morning, good morning, good afternoon, depending on where you're at, and uh, welcome to Thursday. Huh. Well, this Memorial Day weekend is coming up, and I just want to take time to reflect on what exactly Memorial Day is for those of us that served. It is not a joyous occasion. It's definitely a somber occasion where we sit back and remember those who went before us and have given it all. As the saying, some some have given some, but some have given it all. And uh, those that gave it all, um, this is what the Memorial Day weekend is, and I just want to uh, just, you know, take that kind of time to reflect on, on what it really means to, to, to lose someone, um, that's serving, uh, for us and, and keeping our freedoms free. So, uh, just take a moment this weekend as you guys are having a nice long weekend and just remember and thank those that served our nation. That being said, welcome to, we got Eric McDulty welcoming him into, into the room. And today we're going to be talking about, uh, well, couple things like where exactly does emergency management belong we're seeing some reflection speak about reflection on where we should put emergency management who should be uh what division belongs under so so forth and so on and there's actually a push right now for emergency management to go under um uh, public health in some cases and this is not new that's uh, been said uh before in, in some some areas of the nation um and there's i understand the argument for it However, I think it's sometimes in our field, we tend to do some, I hate to say it this way, but knee-jerk reactions and and how we reorganize. If you think after uh, 9-11, we created the Department of Homeland Security and put FEMA underneath there, which I actually think is a big mistake. Um, I think FEMA should be a standalone uh, department, but... Um, you know, that's, I don't know if I'm in the minority, the majority on that one, but that's just my, my feeling on it just because of, of the way things work. Um, but should we start pushing EM under public health or could we just have public health have an emergency management component? So Eric, welcome to the show. Thanks, Todd. I'm really happy to be here. It's a great topic. Absolutely. I know that, you know, you've done some work on that and some research on, on, on emergency management and the locations where they go and, and even the whole idea of public health. But what, what's your opinion on that? Well, first of all, everyone knows that my official appointment is with the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health. So I, I do have a, a bit of bias there, but it may be the bias, not, not the bias people think it is. You know, as I think about this and sort of who should be in charge, that, that phrase in and of itself is problematic to me. I think there's a difference between the process you're following and the subject matter expertise you need in any given event. And so I don't think... I think it's great to have somebody who's in charge of the process and making sure that you're following the process, that resources are allocated, you've got your, uh, you know, your different functions are functioning as they're supposed to, and that the, the connectivity is happening across them as it's supposed to. That doesn't mean they have to be the subject matter experts in the given event you're facing at that moment. Um, so I don't think you, this, that problem doesn't get solved by putting public health in charge or putting anybody else in charge per se. Um, and, and I do think, you know, the, the conversation needs to happen in advance because a 
public health people think through an epidemiological response like we've seen with COVID. They have a certain way they do that. And there are certain reasons to do that the way it is done. And there is a public health component to other incidents, be it you know a hurricane, an earthquake, whatever it happens to be. There's a public health component to that, but that doesn't mean you're going to run it like a public health response. So I think there's a you know there's a need to work out some of those issues ahead of time and say when do we know which you know, which ten steps are we following and why. Um, and then as I say, I think and that's why I find this an incident commander title a bit troubling. That again, there should be somebody who's making sure that EOC is working. Lunch has been ordered. The sections are set up. The onboarding, offboarding between shifts is happening. All those things. That person can run that. And that's a really important role. It doesn't mean they have to be the subject matter expert in the in the incident you're responding to. So, um, I think we put, if we decide to put public health in charge, they're going to try, try and run everything like it's a epidemiological response, which not working in the situation. So, there's a lot of cross learning to be done. No, absolutely, and and I agree with it because, in, in general, what you have is you have whenever wherever emergency management sits, right? If it's in fire, if it's in police, if in, in this case we're talking about public health, they they tend to think of the emergency in the in the lens of the of the position or the organization they're sitting under. You know, uh, the preparedness guy just pushed in. He goes, emergency management shouldn't be under anything; it should be outside of everything and serve everyone. It's a coordination, not a command. And you're absolutely right. You know, uh, he, that's, a, that's a good statement right there. Um, you, you know, but still, at, at some point, they have to report to somebody, right? There has to be some mm. sort of, of structure where, you know, they, you can't have this uh, rogue agency just running around doing whatever the heck they want to do. Uh, they ha- they're going to have a boss, whether it's the mayor, the city manager, you know, um, or where they sit. And I think that's the, the important part here is as this um, profession grows, right, you know, we're, we're fairly new. I mean, we're, we're what, mm. about 40 years old if you – if you want to go if it's from the creation of FEMA, uh, you know, we can go back a little bit further than that. But let's just, you know, let's pick a date and we'll just say we're 40 years old. Uh, that being said, you, you know, we're, we're the newest kid on the block. Uh, fire, police, uh, EMS, they all have a, a good history right now. I mean, EMS technically is, you know, just about 10, 15 years older than, than emergency management. Mm-hmm. But in, the, in general, you know, they, they have that working structure. So I think that's why you see uh, um, where they're sitting. Uh, you know, there's been a call today. I was listening to uh, Jeff's uh, podcast, um, Disaster Politics, and and on that show, they're discussing the idea of of taking a look and and reflecting on what emergency management is, and maybe even uh, redefining it a little bit. And I'm not sure if that's the the right direction to go. I mean, I know we put a lot of work into it. Uh, we have the uh, core competencies that have been put out since 2017. Um, what do you think of that? Should we redefine what emergency management in light of COVID or or should we just be working on the definition that we have and the core competencies? Yeah, I I think you ought to, I think the comment from your, your listener was quite quite on it. It's the coordination of the command that emergency management does so well. And so I don't think you necessarily need to redefine it. I think it needs to be some education among the other specialties as to what emergency management is, why it's there. And then where it sits, I would look at which decisions need to get made? What access do you need in order to get those, either make those decisions or get them made? You have the day-to-day budgetary stuff of who's funding this, who's, who's overseeing this. Most big cities have a emergency management department that is, it reports up to the mayor and whether that person has power and influence is, uh, will vary based on the mayor and based on the person who's in that office. Um, but I think, again, I think 
and this have I, I see this happens is I'm a generalist and I have to this you know I get to see across and I work with law enforcement and you know emergency emergency medicine the other specialties having people understand what you do what you don't do and what you need to do in cooperation and coordination with other people um, to get that done and uh, I think when we take that systemic view and we understand where the pieces together it becomes less important which piece is, you know, the biggest piece in, in this particular incident, or which piece, you know, is supposedly the most important. Um, you really want to be, again, it's, to me, it's information flow, resource flow, decision flow, make, and, and the coordination across the various specialties that are involved. Uh, to, to, to me, it's what, that's what you're, the outcome you're looking for. And then how you get there, uh, to me, is a bit less important because you just want that to happen. Um, and so it's going to vary, it may, may vary city by city or state by state. Uh, depending on where, what kind of threats you face most often that require that coordinated response um, and uh, and how many resources they put into developing a robust capability. And I think that's where it's at. It's like developing that capabilities, the robust and sustainable programs, are, I think, are, are very important. You know, I think one of the things that we have is, as well with with emergency management um, or or just public safety in general, right? Is that we, we do, like I said, after 9-11, moving things into like, you know, creating the Department of Department of Homeland Security and, and pushing tons and tons of money uh, into Homeland Security, um, into into items, right? I mean, I remember, you know, working with the UAC, spending, you know, millions and millions of dollars on, on things such as, you know, trucks and equipment and things like this. You know, not a lot of money on the training, although there was some there. You know what I mean? Um, and I, and I think that we're going to see, this is just my putting my, my Nostradamus hat on, right? My, my <laughs> prediction hat on. And I think we're going to see the same type of thing occur from the government or from the federal government coming out of this and pouring tons and tons of money um, into in the public health. I'm not, I'm not saying they shouldn't get it, but I'm just saying like you're, I think we're going to see that like this whole pendulum shift over, over to, uh, over to that. And again, I think you're going to see emergency managers sort of being in the middle of it and not sure, you know what? How we, how we fit them at the table? Because I think at this time we've, I, I think because of the pandemic, emergency management has lost its seat at the table. Am, am I too off on that, or, or am I? Do you think I'm right? Well, I think you look and see that um, you know FEMA stepped up in a way they'd never stepped up before in a non-Stanford Act uh, response it, it, as part of COVID, and so they saw that actually at the federal level, emergency management had an ama- had a, a very important role, a significant role to play. And there were things only they could do that um, the CDC couldn't do, ASPR couldn't do, the various comp- public health components at that federal level weren't fully equipped for. You know, I think there is, it's a thorny thing. And this is, you know, we talk about it in terms of connectivity at, at the NPLI of how do you get the right people connected in the right ways so that things happen to take, you know, to get the best possible outcome for as many people as possible. Um, I do agree with you. I think that, you know, FEMA being, with, you know, where it sits is, is not great um, that the some of the response capabilities at ASPR or the CDC perhaps should be under FEMA. So you do have a true emergency management agency, and whatever the whatever the emergency is, if it's a non-military intervention, that's where it sits. That's who we've got to do it. Um, and then again, you know, again, you look at the at the state level, state or city level. You know, there's a whole bunch of things that public health does that are not emergencies. There's sort of day-to-day health stuff. There's, you know, every year inoculations, vaccinations, those kind of things. 
there's lots of things they do that are not emergency related. Um, and so that's where I think you need to be able to plug that expertise in quickly. Or maybe, again, you have people who are do public health emergencies as part of that larger emergency management body who have that subspecialty uh, to be able to then who know how to liaise with the with the, the hardcore public health folks uh, when they when when needed, uh, because again you you know it, it's you can't you can't just take away the rest of the things that public health does that are important usually not recognized they don't get a lot of attention they don't get a lot of money, um, and so you're right when we, that, a lot of that investment that's going to come I hope a that it comes. Uh, Again, with a systemic view, and not just oh, we had a public health crisis, therefore let's throw a lot of money at public health, uh, and doesn't come with too many, too much micromanagement of, of folks in Congress trying to decide where where exact dollars go. Um, because as we saw, as we saw in a big report from the New York Times a couple of months ago, that you know a certain percentage of ASPRS funding had to go to anthrax vaccine, um, which was dictated. It's under law. That's what had happened, and nobody who actually was doing the preparedness thought that was the smartest way to spend the money, but that's what the law says. So you had to do it. Right. And, and that's what sadly comes out too often after these things is there's little, little bits of, of, uh, of boundary stipulation in there that isn't useful. Once you try and put this into practice. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, let's take a quick break right now. And uh, when we come back, I want to really talk about, well, I mean, that idea, the funding where it goes and uh, what we should do with it. The Outer Limits Supply Company was founded on the idea of providing high-quality first aid kits. Their goal is to supply the life-saving equipment you'll need to mitigate the majority of injuries often seen during austere times. From minor injury on an outdoor adventure with your family to your team responding to a major traumatic event, Outer Limits Supply has the kits to manage most situations, providing practical, user-friendly first aid kits that anyone can use. Enter EM Weekly, all capitals, at checkout and save 20% off your total purchase. Go to www.outerlimitsupply.com today. That's outerlimitsupply.com. We all know emergency management is dynamic. What you need to know and do can cover all kinds of fields and change on a dime. When choosing a partner, you want someone just as dynamic to help you keep up. The Mid-Atlantic Center for Emergency Management Public Safety is just that, a FEMA partner and one-stop shop for college academics, custom training and consulting. They cover it all and bring you the best of each. So whether you're looking to start your degree, go back to school, train your people, or anything in between, they're here for you. See what you can build together at frederick.edu backslash M-A-C-E-M-P-S. That's M-A-C-E-M-P-S. Power outages can happen at any time. Is your community prepared? The Power Up Solar Power Charging Trailer can be used to address the need for temporary power for your community. In addition, the Power Up Solar Power Charging Trailer can provide a platform to support your public information and community resiliency outreach efforts throughout the year to educate and inform people about the need to always be ready. For more information, visit Power upconnect.com that is powerupconnect.com worn by law enforcement fire and ems professionals for a generation 511 apparel and accessories are built to provide unmatched reliability and performance when it matters most 
from no melt, no drip apparel, to task specific EMS gear, and their patented patrol duty uniform along with duty specific footwear. 511 Public Safety Gear provides superior power, mobility, and versatility in harsh and unforgiving situations. Precision engineered from modern materials and crafted with input from the end users in the field. And you can count on the craftsmanship, quality, and utility of 511 first responder apparel and accessories. Your job is hard enough. Don't settle for good enough. 511 Public Safety Gear gives you the edge you need to respond effectively. Hey, welcome back for the quick break. And thank you so much for listening to our sponsors because without them, we could not bring you the content that we're bringing today. So, Eric, before we went on break, we're talking a little bit about financing and, and like where things go. And, you know, I, I can just tell you my experience. In, in Orange County, California, you know, we had our UASI and we had the Urban Area Working Group, which was a, we had each discipline represented from each region in the, in the county. So it's about 20 something people in the room. And, you know, we discussed, decided on, on how best to spend that money for our regional approach in the county. So, you know, we did divvy it up between fire, EMS, um, uh, police, uh, public works got stuff. I mean, uh, communications got stuff. So, I mean, we really worked through the investment justifications and, and, and really how that, how that worked. But I know other UOCs didn't work in the sand, it didn't play in the sandbox well together and sort of said, this is my money and I'm going to do what I want to do with it. I know that LA County um, had some issues with LA City and things like this. And, and there was some of that going on. Um, how do you see this money coming in? Which it's going to come, right? I mean, we it's it's not an if. It's going to be the, you know, the Congress is going to get together. They're going to spend a lot of money on on public health right now. How do you see that going out? Do you do you think that it should be something where we take the regional approach to it and and divvy the money up between all agencies? Because I mean, EMS obviously has a has an issue has a, a role to play in in this. Uh, even police have a role to play in this. You know, how how do you see that money being divided up? Well, if I could predict that, I'd be a highly paid consultant and not a uh, <laughs> <laughs> right, not not a lowly academic um, to know that. And I, I say it is going to be a real challenge because I do think that again, we because we tend to think in stovepipes that uh, we think, oh, what's well, our public health money at the public health function when the, when again this should play out over uh, a, a number of functions that have to work together. And if I have my druthers, I I see this as a real leadership challenge. So much of this is about being able to see the future and figure out how do we best equip the system to as for preparedness as well as response and recovery all the way through the full cycle is, again, look at, I would want to take this money systemically. I would love it to, you know, I think if if you've got a good functioning region, a regional approach is great. But as we know, there's a high degree of variability there in terms of how that that works. So I don't think it's any magic funding formula here. Uh, and often I think the funding, a lot of decisions get made based on who wants, to, hey, who's doling out the money, how do they want to oversee how the money gets spent. Um, so that, you know, some people prefer this agency versus that agency because their committee has oversight over, you know, HHS versus DHS or uh, those kind of things that, um, you know, I think I, I would like us here to take a page from uh so the frugal innovation handbook and say, how do we not spend all this money so fast that we look back and we see we, we bought the wrong stuff, uh, which I think is part of what happened after 9-11. As you said, we bought a lot of a lot of stuff. And then we look back and say, now we're trying to figure out reasons to use that stuff because we, we own it. 
uh, but can we allocate it, but then begin to look at uh, and get some evidence-based approaches to how we how we begin to spend it, look for some innovations and new new approaches to say, how can we how can we best fix this? You know, I was on a, I was on a call this morning with the, the uh, some folks looking at how we use available data sets to to, to improve preparedness and response and, and do more uh, sort of data-driven analysis. And part of what we talked about were the social determinants of preparedness. And here's an area where I think public health thinking actually contribute quite a bit is when you look at the communities that are most affected, um, are the, what are the, some of the social determinants behind that outcome? So is it, you know, is this housing insecurity play into how prepared people are for wildfires or hurricanes, whatever the threat is you're most worried about? Um, are there education issues? Are there any number of, of uh, you know, mobility issues, those kind of things? So you may, you may actually find there are, there are levers for deeper in the system, more upstream, that if you could put some money against, you actually get a better outcome. Uh, we fix some of that housing issue. Um, that may affect how prepared people are and how, how well they're able to adapt to that next uh, public health emergency, for example. And so, again, people all like to, to take their, their piece of the pie and they want to get as much money as they can when the, when the, the, uh, the train full of gold ducats is coming by their station. Um, but I think if we can look at it more systemically and say, where do we, how do we actually get that community, that community level benefit and really put the money where it's going to create the most, the most uh, positive benefits for, for everybody. And unfortunately, I don't think that's the way it's going to be done. But, you know, I can dream, can't I? No, absolutely. And, and, and I agree with you, too. And I, and I would love to see it be, be done like that and, and really be thoughtful of the way we, we spend that money. I, I, I'm very fiscally conservative when it comes uh, to the way I spend public money. Um, you know, when I was in the public sector, if, if I could not justify a nickel being spent, I wouldn't spend it. But if I could justify a million dollars being spent, I would, I would, I would fight for it, right. you know, um, because I think that's what we owe the taxpayers, number one, um, because, you know, at the end of the day, it's their money that we're spending. And, and we really need to take a look at it in that way. It's not free money coming to us from the federal government. It really is our taxpayers' money that we have to be uh, very cognizant of how how we spend that that money, you know. Speaking of that, LA City um, bought 19 million dollars worth of N95 masks, and early on in the pandemic, and now they're turning around trying to figure out how to sell it. So if you're looking for a deal on uh, N95 mask, I think they're selling it for like 79 cents a piece right now. Um, the LA Times reported on that. You know, what do you think of of, of that? I don't call it abuse of spending because I know it's kind of a just as much as anything else is almost like a panic spend. Um, why why aren't we, you know, really, and I, I know it's not outside of the conversation, I know you're not an economist, but why why are we not spending money um, the right way earlier on uh, to combat some of these things? Why do we tend to just panic by in, in, in this field? Well, I think there's a number of drivers there, and, and believe it or not, I do have an undergraduate degree in economics. Oh, there don't we hold, go. <laughs> don't, don't hold that against me. Um you know, the, only, the main thing I learned from that was you can make any anything, any financial model work on paper because you can hold different things constant, whatever. Then you get to the real world and it's a whole different story. But, you know, again, we, we, we've underinvested in preparedness uh, and mitigation for a long time because you can't stand next to that stuff. You know, you, know, you can't get your picture taken next to it uh, when they were, you know, a new fire truck. Yeah, that we can get your picture taken next to it and, or you can name, name the EOC after, after somebody. Um, those kinds of things. 
So there's that visibility piece. We really have underestimated it. And so we do one of these situations where you have to panic buy or again, money gets allocated to, to buy certain things. And so all of a sudden, okay, I've got money that can be spent on N95 masks. I'm going to buy a truckload of them because I can, I, I might need them. And if I don't think it's opportunity and I haven't got the money six months from now and I need them, I'm in trouble. So the system is skewed in, in that way. And then again, we have this this notion in government of uh, you know either you know spend it or lose it. Right. Um, that does not happen in the private sector, right? You actually get rewarded for coming in under budget at the end of the at the end of a year. Maybe be able, being able to carry some of that money over, uh, or you know, there's, it's a different different mindset. So again, we get people who it's it, it's better to spend it than to lose it. So you you buy what you can buy, you buy what you're allowed to buy, um, and you know, I, I think I tend to, to assume good intentions in people. So I don't think they're buying stupid stuff to be stupid. I think they're buying stuff because that's what, again, they've got the funds. They might need it someday. They can buy it now. Um, they grab it. And, and again, it's just, it's not, it's just not a smart way. And a lot of that is, is too much micromanagement. I think in the, it, as the budget process comes down to again, you know, say, okay, we've got money. You can spend it on this, but you can't spend it on that. You, you, again, you can buy a truck, but you can't do training. Well, I think right. we really need. They actually the, the old truck works fine, and we need training on these new, new conditions we're we're, we're facing. Well, yeah, we have. You can't spend money on that. So we actually don't trust people uh, who are at that leadership and the management levels in our agencies to make the smart decisions, and that to me is not good. We ought to be able to trust people. We ought to have help and train them to have the judgment to be allocating the money appropriately. If they don't, they get to go have a job somewhere else. But Trust people to make smart decisions. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 by the way, I mean people do make sometimes ding dong decisions. You know, I I won't I won't out the fire department, but there was a fire department from back east um, <clears throat> that is not New York nor Boston uh, that uh, purchased um, popcorn machines uh, for each of their stations, saying it was public outreach, and and it was never um, set in an area where the public ever had any any access to the popcorn <laughs> machines, you know? So, I mean, like there, there's just th- the silly things like that, you, you know, that, yeah, I, I you know, th- that they do. Um, so, but there's, they're checked on it. Right. Because, right. you know, that's another thing too. As, this is for the public. I know those of us in the business understand this, that we can spend the money anyway we kind of want to. Uh, but when, when they come back and take a look at this and they DHS does an audit on, on where the stuff is, uh, you better have your ducks in a row because you're going to get in trouble. Right. Uh, you know, like that fire department did, uh, for purchasing things outside of what the, you know, the, what it's meant for. So, you know, uh, I want I want to move away from uh, money here for a second. I want to go into mission creep, and that's one of the things that I think uh, that might be a too harsh of a word to say, but with emergency management, you've seen it being used. You've seen the department being used in different cities, specifically for the um, homeless issue. I know Seattle um, was was doing some of that. I heard San Francisco. Uh, was was doing that should 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 homelessness be an emergency management problem or a public health problem well i think when you've got a a, a large unhoused population um that's first and foremost a policy failure because uh, you're now dealing with it at the emergency level um and there's a whole bunch of, of stuff that led up to that in terms of affordable housing and helping folks get uh, make transitions from uh if they come on addiction settings or whatever. Um, so wh- why do people wind up in that condition? By the time you're handing it off to, to emergency management, it, 
it's a reactive response and it's not, uh, I don't think, the best use of, uh, of people's time and expertise uh, to, be, to be dealing with it at that point. Uh, it's, a bit of, it's a bit of an excuse. Uh, I think it, it, it is a, uh, a public health issue. Uh, I don't think public health alone can, can certainly can solve it. Um, it's a complex social issue. Um, and I think that, you know, that's where you need to bring players together. Who owns all the pieces of the puzzle? Uh, get them as up, far upstream as you can to see how do we not wind up ever needing to call emergency management to deal with a with an unhoused population because, you know, because we fixed it. You know, there's a there's a movement out there. And I'm forgetting the name of the person who started it, but her commitment was to to zero percent homeless. And you actually can take communities to that level. And one of the things they have found is that when the housing issue is addressed, a lot of the other issues go away. People are better able to think, oh, go get a job, save some money, and then you can get a permanent place to live. Actually, when people have a permanent place to live, when it's a semi-permanent place to live, it's easier to get a job. They take their meds more often. They show up for appointments and all kinds of other, all kinds of other downstream social issues go away. Um, so I think that these are the issues we again we need to be this is the classic connectivity challenge convening the people who have the different pieces of the puzzle it's not an em issue to solve or public health or public safety for that matter or a healthcare issue to solve they can solve it together by by working together and seeing how they figure this out and there may be times sudden cold snap you got folks who are who are outdoors who need to get it in your shelters are overwhelmed you may need to bring emergency management into it because those folks are good at setting up shelters quickly and knowing how to mobilize those resources, they could be helpful there, but they certainly can't solve the underlying problem. Yeah, I, I agree to there. You know, as one of the things I, I like to think about emergency management, one of the skill sets that we have uh, or should have if you're in the field um, is, you know, project management and coordination management. And uh, I think those two things are, are really important. So I, I can see why um, cities lean on emergency managers uh, for these crises. Uh, but you're right. This is something that we should be being dealt with before it gets to that level of, of a crisis. So we got a couple things coming up, Eric. You're going to be, you and I and, and uh, the team here at Ian Weekly, we're going to be having a discussion on meta leadership uh, coming up on August 12th for the webinar. Uh, excited about that. Tell me what you feel and what we're going to discuss and, and, and how you see it uh, going out. You know, I, I really want to talk a bit about what we've learned through COVID uh, and the other complex events we've seen. I mean, we don't, we can't forget we've had the massive hurricane season, the tropical storm season, the massive wildfires. We've got a lot going on, and our, our the challenges we're facing in this business are are more complex than ever. So, how do you begin to think about that way? You know, I think for a long time, leading in this space was about knowing what to do, and it's increasingly becoming knowing how to think. So you know how to do um, and, and, and being able to understand the complexity, the inter, interdependencies across the system, being able to figure that out and marshal resources in, in new and different ways. So I'm going to bring some brand new material to that talk. So those of you who, who can make it on August 12th, you should. Uh, we, the meta leadership model hasn't changed, uh, but how we talk about it and how we deploy it is going to be a bit different. As I say. So I promise to bring some brand new material there rooted in how we look at these you know, I think we're in an age that we can't respond our way out of. We've really got to get serious about preparedness and mitigation and then smart recovery that feeds into preparedness, all of which should uh, make our responses more manageable, I hope. Um, so that's what I'm going to try and talk about it in a couple of months. 
Absolutely. I'm looking forward to that talk. And if you guys want to sign up for it, please, uh, there's a link in the, sh- in the show notes. And uh, yeah, you can find us on LinkedIn as well and Facebook and, and Twitter. Sign up. Sign up today. Sign up early. Uh, you, you know, our last uh, webinar that we had, we had people that uh, were we're in the waiting room because we we got we got overfilled. We work we worked on that problem, so that shouldn't be a problem this time around. But um, I expect to have the same amount of crowd uh, for coming in for for Eric's uh, talk. So looking forward to that. Hey, Eric, thank you so much for spending time with us today, uh, and it's been a pleasure. Thank you, Todd. Take care. Everybody, thank you so much for spending time with us today. And it was a great conversation um, about where uh, emergency management should sit at the table, specifically in the realm of the public health emergency. And, you know, this is one of the things that as a growing um, profession, uh, we're going to run into some uh, some of these little uh, problems. But I think we have great people uh, working on what emergency management is, where it belongs, and what we should be doing um, in the future. Hey, everybody, thank you so much again for, for spending time with us, like I said. And, uh, yeah, I'd love to have you follow us on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, fa- uh, LinkedIn, Instagram, uh, and, and also, of course, you know, find us here on uh, at Sitch Radio. Uh, until next time, take care, stay safe, stay hydrated.